You are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. All right, everybody, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best day of your life, 1 being the worst day of your life, today has been a... I'd like to hear it. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for what you're doing here in our lives, in this church family. Uh, God, I just thank you for, uh, just once again, evidences of how uh, people are making changes in their life that are coming closer to uh, connection with you. And I pray that tonight, that as we open up your word and continue to focus in on Jesus, how you have called us to be a part of the discipleship and the ministry that uh, you exemplified through your life. Uh, May we not only just walk away with something that we learned that you did, but may it cause us to marvel at who you are and what you've called us to be a part of. And so, Lord, uh, this time is yours. Uh, May we not leave the same way. May we leave with more than a worksheet filled out. Uh, We want actually some principles and practices that we need to have in our own life. So, God, I pray that you would use this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Here's what I want you to do, if you can. We're going to go over to the book of Matthew for a brief moment, all right? We're going to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are taking a few months to do a New Testament survey, which basically means this. We're unpacking how the New Testament is put together to help us understand more of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And we've been walking through uh, really the New Testament at different stages. We've looked at the incarnation about how Jesus was born. We've looked at the preparation side of things about preparing before he launched his ministry. And tonight we're going to talk about ministry, which lasted all of three years that have revolutionized this world. Uh, Three-year ministry without a social media campaign, without a podcast, without a a private airplane, and yet, here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the world in a different language still talking about it. Something took place over 2,000 years ago, right? Something took place in the life of Jesus that the world is still trying to grasp. And so tonight, we want to talk about his ministry And uh, Jesus' ministry only lasted three years, but the effect of it has completely changed history. And in studying the critical components of his ministry, we can better ascertain the purpose for which he came. Now, uh, tonight we had a little technological glitch, so I'm going to have to do notes a little bit different than what I typically do. But uh, we're still going to be able to walk through all of this stuff here together. But I want us, before we go through the notes here, I want to show you something. When you're looking at um, Matthew chapter 14... You see, uh, there might be a subheading there that's at the top of it. It says something like John the Baptist beheaded. You see that? Or John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, right? So if your cousin just got his head taken off for following the Lord and preaching the truth, do you think that might affect you? Sure that it does, right? Probably got his attention just a little bit. Um, And so what happens is um, when, when this takes place, I want you to look over to verse 13. The subheading above that says feeding of the what? 5,000, look at verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place to be alone. And when the crowds heard this, I don't think they got the message about him wanting to be alone, okay? When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He told them to go away and come back next week, right? No. He had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. 
Now, um, let me ask you this. Did any of you ever need what is called some me time, <laughs> some alone time? I don't need everybody up in my grill time, okay? Like too many people, too many issues, too many things. I don't think anybody in this world probably saw it as much as what Jesus did. Every single place that he went, somebody's like, hey, can you teach me this? Can you heal this? Can you fix that? Can you address so-and-so? Everywhere that he went, and he just learned that his forerunner in the ministry, his cousin, John the Baptist, just got his head taken off for doing the right thing, and he knows not very short from now, that's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. This government's going to conspire against me and going to kill me for doing the right thing. And so what does he do? He just wants a moment to go and pray. And does he get it? No. <laughs> I don't know how long or brief that thing was, but all of a sudden he, he separates to go away for a little bit. And all of a sudden the crowds come in and don't miss this. Jesus had a desire to be alone and to process what just happened, but he prioritized their needs over his desires. And if I could say anything to summarize the life of Jesus, that's pretty much it when you think about ministry. Because so often what's taking place here is he is uh, in a situation where constantly, constantly going back and forth and realizing that when needs come up, he pushes what he is desiring to do. In fact, if you, if you look at so much of the Gospels, so many of Jesus' ministry happened in interruptions, right? He's on the way from point A to point B, and somebody stops him and says, by the way, can you fix this? And he doesn't say, where is my entourage? Get this person off me, right? He meets their needs. And so the ministry that we're going to talk about is the ministry that he, for three years, blazed a path that honestly did change all of uh, history. When you go down through this passage, it says, uh, when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I love this response. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. Which, I imagine when the disciples go, don't you understand Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday where you expect us to get all the food, feed all these people. What do you mean? We, we don't have Christian chicken we can go get. We, 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 we're supposed to go find all this food. Jesus says, don't send them away. You do something about it. Why? You heard about the need, right? You think we came with enough food for 5,000 guys? There's no way. And what they said, verse 17, we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. They thought, good, we're going to make him stop all this nonsense. That's all we got. You see from another gospel thing, John says it was a young boy's lunch. That's what they found, right? Somebody's mama packed him a lunchable, and he had that, and they brought it to Jesus. In verse 18, bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. I mean, maybe, let me go back at one second. I went too quick on that. 19, he commanded the crowds to sit down on the what? Grass. Mark, Mark even emphasizes that it was green grass. Now, now follow Jesus has just heard about someone dying. He is walking through the valley of the shadow of. And as their shepherd, he makes them lie down in green pastures. You go to verse 22 and you see that he's doing something else. He is leading them beside still waters. Jesus is fulfilling Psalm 23 all throughout his ministry right here. It's in order. All this stuff's going to land down. Now, he makes them sit down in the green grass. 
He took five loaves, two fish, looking up to heaven, he blessed them, he broke the loaves, he gave them to his disciples, the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. All right, let me be honest. I have two 15-year-old boys in the house right now. You know how hard it is to feed them and they become satisfied? It don't ever happen. It doesn't happen, right? 5,000 men going, yeah, I'm good. No, no, no. No, I, I'm, I'm stuffed. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So some people think it's probably with 5,000 men, if you take a wife and two kids per guy, what if there's actually up to 20,000 people there? Now, modern mind would say, that's absolutely incredible. There's no way that could happen. But if Jesus is the Son of God, could that have happened? Sure. Yeah. And what did he do? Hey, disciples, I want you to help me. Help. We don't have any food. What do, what do you have? This is all we've got. That's all I need. Takes all that they got. He breaks it, blesses it. And then I love the next piece. What does he do? Hey, guys, Peter, will you give this to that crowd over there? Andrew, why don't you go take care of that? Matthew, come take it over there. They each get to be a part of the ministry. Now, in all reality, what are they doing? They're just handing out what the Lord gave them, right? They're not doing anything impressive other than being a good waiter, okay? And yet, my friends, that's what ministry feels like every single day. If I give anything significant to you from sunup to sundown tonight, let me tell you what it is. God has given me something. I'm trying to give it to you in the best possible way that I can. But if anything sustains you, anything satisfies you, it's from him. And that's what ministry is. He says, I'm going to take care. He goes walking on the water. Look at chapter 15 for a moment. He gets into kind of disagreement about some traditions that happened because apparently that also happened back then. Goes on from there. I want you to look down to verse 32 and I want you to see a subheading that might seem surprising to you. It says, feeding of the 4,000. I bring this up because a lot of you may not even realize that that is a story in the Bible. Because you grew up learning that Jesus fed the how many? 5,000, just like we said. Why is that? There must be a typo in my Bible and your Bible. What in the world's going on here? Because, no, it's 5,000, not 4,000. Verse 32, Jesus calls his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse on the way. They have sat there in a Bible study with Jesus for three days and they forgot about eating. Let's be honest. I've been working about 12 minutes here and some of y'all are like, when are we going to be done? Okay, I'm starting to already think about dinner time. Hey, I get it. I get it. I'm not Jesus, right? I understand it completely. Like, you're smelling something in here. It's smelling pretty good. You're starting to think about dinner. I understand. Jesus is like, y'all leave here. They're probably going to faint because they haven't eaten for three days. Three days. So this is a little different situation. Verse 33. This is a picture of our faith. Ready? The disciples said to him, and where can we get enough bread in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? What? Y'all see, I'm not making this up. Last chapter, they had how many men? 5,000. We're about to find out. Guess how many times they have this time? 4,000. And just where expect you, you expect us to get enough food to feed all these people, Jesus? Now, if I were Jesus at this point, I might start yelling and cussing, okay? But thankfully, I was not in this moment, okay? Because my flesh would want to get in here going, what do you mean, right? How can you miss this, right? And by the way, Pastor Travis isn't saying you need to cuss, okay? So I want you to understand this, but I would be so frustrated. I'd be so upset. I'd probably start yelling and hollering like, what do you mean? Haven't you seen what I've done? And yet, get this, they had seen Jesus move in the past 
but new set of circumstance, and they wonder if he can do it again. Why do I say that's a picture of our faith? Well, what was the last thing you got anxious about? How's he going to pull this thing off? And you get know good and well all the amazing things he's done through your history. But a new set of challenges come up, and we panic. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get enough bread for all this? Verse 34, ready for this? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked them. Seven. Is that more or less bread than last time? More. Is it more or less people than last time? Less. Okay. Then what? And a few small fish. Well, the way I see it is, there are two fish last time. Few means at least three. Three or more, right? So don't miss this. They have less of an issue, more resources, still no faith. After commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves, the fish gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now there were 4,000 men who had eaten besides women and children. After dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. The reason I bring those two stories up to you is throughout these three years of life of Jesus' ministry, so many times he would do the miraculous time and time again to instill faith in people and they would still panic when a new set of circumstances come up. It reminds me a lot of my own heart. It reminds me a lot of times when the situation comes, do I believe that what Jesus says can happen? Do I believe that he can do the impossible time and time again? And so with that, I want us to start looking through some of these notes here together. The first thing I want to talk about his ministry is what's called the revelation of Christ, okay? Revelation of Christ. When we think about him teaching with authority, this is what we know. I'm going to try to do this where you can actually read. Jesus started his teaching ministry when he came to his hometown and read from the scriptures. Okay? There's a time when Jesus goes to his hometown. And in Luke 4, 14 through 22, he walks up one day and reads from Isaiah the prophet and talks about the coming Messiah. He puts the scroll back up, hands it to the attendant. Everybody kind of feels like he's saying something, even though he's not saying something. And all of a sudden, he, everybody's looking at him. He goes, oh, in case you're wondering, yeah, that just got fulfilled right now. Right now. The Messiah you're waiting for is here. And his ministry began. At that day, they were not exactly thrilled by that prospect because they were not thinking that Jesus was the Savior that they had anticipated coming. Now, when Jesus began to teach, his teaching was characterized, okay, was characterized as, as having authority. Over and over, whenever Jesus would teach, it would say that the people were amazed that he taught with authority. Jesus just didn't suggest things to you. Hey, if you kind of want to get around to it, hey, I know the culture says this, but you be you, you know. Do whatever you want to do. Follow your heart. He would say, don't follow that heart. <laughs> that heart would get you into trouble. You need to follow the Lord. And when he taught, it was such a dynamic way that he would teach would be shocking. And even the people who made their vocation in teaching, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, were all amazed because he was not like the scribes. When he taught, it left an imprint on the people listening that they knew they had to do something with that teaching. He also not only taught with authority, but he, he was teaching for change. What I mean that is that Jesus' teaching raised the bar concerning what I would call holiness. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is Jesus' longest recorded sermon that we call Sermon on the what? Mount, right? 
So um, a lot of people were concerned with Jesus because he seemed like a rebel to them on earth, but he was not a rebel uh, in, in the way that we would understand things. Oh, you're trying to get rid of the law. He said in Matthew chapter 7, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I've come to fulfill them. Now, how he does this in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he's speaking to a Jewish audience who knows the Jewish scriptures. They know the Old Testament. They know the Ten Commandments. And he says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. And everybody on that mountain who had never committed murder thought, that's right, command I've never struggled with, feeling pretty good right now. And he says, but I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, undealt uh, with bitterness, you ever called your brother a fool, you're just as guilty as the fires of hell as somebody who's committed murder. And everybody on that mountainside was basically probably thinking what you and I thought the first time we heard that. Yeah, right. You don't consider that the same thing. But what was he saying? Brothers and sisters, when I go to Perry Correctional twice a month right now, and I preach to these guys, and some of them will never see outside those walls, can I tell you what I'm looking at? A bunch of men that have the same sin issues that I have. They're no different than me. I get angry. I want to do things to people sometimes when I get angry. I wish I was, I was a lot more spiritual than I am. But I've told you oftentimes, can you imagine driving to Woodruff Road every day to your office and figure out how sanctified you can stay, right? Okay? I realize that when I look at some brothers in that room that have taken another person's life, their sin, according to Jesus, is no different than mine. So I'm not looking at them going, well, you guys who need Jesus, and I'm all good. No, 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 I'm going, the only difference between them and me, they got caught. They, they, they took a step forward and actually did something with how they were feeling. How many of us have had so much anger and rage in our own life that sometimes we wanted to take matters into our own hands? You don't want to admit it. I'll admit it to you. There, there, there's a situation that I heard about um, a father um, doing something to a child this week. I wanted to go hunt this man down. I, I wanted to say, I, I can address this situation. And you might say, well, that's righteous anger, Travis. Well, it, it might be, but I'll tell you what, it was not feeling righteous in the moment. I mean, anger, deep down anger. And I know this. Jesus says, you look at people because they've done this sin, and he's saying it's more than the external actions, it's the heart. He goes no further. You've heard it say don't commit adultery. Whew, never done that, Jesus, I'm good. Well, if you've ever had lust in your heart for somebody else, you've committed the same sin. Talk about awkward. Talk about not lowering the bar. What is he doing? He's raising it. It's not just doing the action. It's having a thought. And he starts going down all these commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. This is what I'm going to tell you. It's more than just staying away from certain actions. It's that God wants your heart to be changed. And this type of teaching was raising the bar concerning holiness. He wasn't getting rid of the scriptures. In fact, just in case somebody in this culture has told you something that is a wrong and ignorant belief, and I don't mean that in an ugly way. Ignorance just means they don't have the knowledge of it. Jesus did not flip the script on any type of major teachings that we find in the Old Testament. I'll give you an example. It's not as if in the Old Testament it says adultery is bad, and the New Testament he goes, ah, it'll be all right. There's nothing like that at all. 
In fact, if anything, Jesus says, you've heard it said here, raise the bar. Because this is heart. It's, it's your heart that God is after. And so as he begins to teach, what happens is, is that he continues to call people to a level of holiness. And at Jesus' transfiguration, the Father told the disciples to do one thing. He says, I want you to listen to him. Right? Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, John. They don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, there's this voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love very much. Listen to him. Brothers and sisters, if I could tell you anything that would be wise for us to walk out of here today to do is to listen to Jesus Christ. Not only say, oh, I heard what he said. Actually, I did what he said. Listen to what he's going on. Now, here's the, the, the unique thing. Jesus' teaching often caused the crowds to decrease. Instead of, you might want to know what this is? Increase. And you go, wait a minute. I thought he drew a lot of crowds. He sure did. But did you know that there were sometimes he said some things that made the crowds get smaller? There's sometimes people going, I'm not going back to that. Made me uncomfortable. Offended me. Talked about my mama. Whatever it is, right, okay? It offended them, and the crowds began to thin, and Jesus didn't seem alarmed by it. He didn't go, no, 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 don't come. No, 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 don't go away. I got a better message next week. If you come, it'd be a really happy, go-lucky message and tell you you're all right with the Lord. He goes, nah, you running now? It's going to get worse. You might as well start walking. In fact, he actually started calling his disciples a pretty simple question. So one time in John chapter 6, Jesus has been telling them that they were, basically the people were coming because they had um, fed for the, the bread and the fish. And in John 6, they come back again, and Jesus can tell why the crowd's there. You know why they're there? You guys want another meal, aren't you? Oh, that's why you're here, because you got a free meal last week, and you want another free meal? Let me tell you, I got a meal for you. If you want to have anything to do with me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, let me just tell you. He lost a few people that night, okay? Like, all right, I like the bread and the fish. I'm not about all this kind of cannibalism thing you're talking about here. What are you talking about, Jesus? Now, what was he? He's saying, you don't just get to basically take parts of me. If you're going to follow me, you've got to be consumed with me. You've got to identify wholeheartedly with me. This is the only way this thing is going to work. And so what happens is, um, while, when many disciples walked away, many disciples began to walk away from Jesus. They started to walk away from his challenging teachings. In fact, Jesus said it this way. Hey, there's the door, guys. See all the people who just left? You think that teaching's bad? You don't want to get ready for tomorrow's devotion. I just want to tell you. It, it, there's the door if you want to walk. And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have words of eternal life. Peter had tasted and seen that the Lord was good, and he was not going to dine at any kind of fast food restaurant after that. He knew that Jesus spoke true words, and he wanted to base his entire life on that. He, we can't go anywhere else. Now, the other thing Jesus did, he taught in parables. And he often spoke in parables so that those with kingdom eyes could understand. So what happens is, is he begins to teach in parables, and he is teaching these stories in a society that does not have phones where they can text message or send YouTube videos. They don't even have books that you can go grab on a certain subject. So if you want to take a truth and make it memorable, you know how you had to do it? Tell it in a story. So that's what Jesus did. He would tell these parables and stories 
to try to get them to understand complex teachings, but then also it can be portable, right? So if I were to ask you guys, just go ahead and give you an example. Uh, if you were in our services today, I could say, does anybody know my six-point list of discipleship? They all start with D. You can be like, uh, bullet points. You don't, it's hard to remember, right? Okay, thank you, got desire. I appreciate that so much. You, you know, okay, you might come up with, we might together all come up with, let me do this. Let me all get your notes out. I'm ready to go, okay? And I know that, but let me ask you something. Do you remember a guy that I talked about today? An older man? Robert Coleman wrote a book. What else? You see, he's still alive. He's still discipling people. You see what I'm saying? We, we lock on to stories, right? We, we just lock on to it. You probably start telling that story. You might even add some stuff. You know, Robert Coleman, I think he had a cape too. I don't know. Like, you know, him and Travis went on a minute. I don't know what you come up with, but you would lock into that story. That's just kind of how we're working, especially back in Jesus' days. He said, um, so all you religious people who don't want to bend down and get your hands dirty, let me tell you a story one time. There's this guy who, Fell among a bunch of robbers one day, got beat up, left half for dead, stripped naked, taking all his stuff, and it's, all of a sudden he's going to die there unless somebody shows up. And here comes this religious leader, driving by on his little donkey, and what does he do? Keeps going. Another religious leader comes by, and he sees the issue and don't want to get his hands dirty. So what does he do? He keeps walking by. Now let me ask you a question. Did anybody know who was it that helped that young man out? He has a name we call him. He's called the... Good Samaritan. So apparently Jesus' story made it to your ears too, huh? You see how that works? Like, we're still talking about the stories of Jesus in that type of unique way. And so he tells it with kingdom eyes so people can understand, they can remember. It's easy for them to uh, move on uh, in those kind of things. Yet, oftentimes, even his disciples had to have private explanations. Um, in Mark 4, 10 through 20, this is hilarious. Jesus tells the parable of sower and seed, different stuff like this, and, and a lot of the crowd go, we don't know what that means. And the disciples said, hey, the crowd wants to know why you teach your parables. Well, I, I teach it so people like you guys get it, and some of them don't. Okay. Did you get that? Uh-uh. Did you get it? Uh-uh. Jesus, just in case we might have missed one of the points, can you explain to us what we should have already understood? Sometimes they didn't get it, right? Sometimes they didn't. And Jesus had to explain it to them from time to time. Now, Jesus, uh, Jesus is utilizing of parables. What did he do? He made his lessons memorable and explained hidden spiritual things. It allowed them to see certain things, and it also allowed them to transfer that. you got to imagine that as people were going home that day, you won't believe this story that Jesus told. There's a son who took all of his inheritance away and he just spent it lavishly or whatever. He had nothing left. You want to know what happened next, right? And that stuff just translated all the way to us. Those stories stuck in those consciousness. It was a way for them to learn. Now, the supplication of Christ. Um, that's a big fancy word. That means this, prayer, right? Luke 5, 16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus' ministry was marked over and over again with this thing called prayer. A, a major, major way that everywhere that he went, this was a big part. In fact, got a long list of different examples of when Jesus would pray or how he would pray. First off, did you know that Jesus prayed alone? Got some verses there for you. Matthew 14, 23, Mark 1, 30, 
5, Luke 9, 18, chapter 22, verses 39 through 41, Jesus oftentimes withdrew from the crowds so that he could pray. Get away. Uh, he actually had, um, in this, it seems like Jesus had favorite places to pray. Do you have that favorite spot in your life? You're like, man, if I just want to go on a walk here, this place of nature here, whatever it is. Jesus had favorite spots, favorite times of the day. And if the disciples, we can't find Jesus, they go, we kind of know where to find him. He's been in a couple locations. We, we know where he loves to go and pray. But a lot of times they'd find him praying alone. We also find that he would pray in public. Okay? He would pray in public. Uh, there are sometimes John accounts for, it's funny, he'd pray. This is not how you teach you might to pray, but apparently we probably should. Lord, I'm praying this right now, and I know that you know this, and I know this, but I'm just praying so everybody else that's hearing me hear me say this right now, right? I'm praying this right now. I'm going to ask this bold request because I want you to show up and I want their faith to grow. So I'm saying this in public right now. Um, some of the scariest things to do is to pray in public knowing that you've actually asked God to do something because now you feel like, oh, now it's out there, right? Do I have the faith that this thing is going to take place? Uh, we find that uh, we also see that uh, Jesus would pray before meals, okay? We see that um, at different times when he's the, at the feeding of different places. When he gathered his disciples together, he'd pray and bless the food and, and thank God for it. We find that Jesus also prayed before important decisions. In Luke chapter 6, uh, right before he chose the 12 disciples, it said that Jesus spent all night in prayer. Now, how many disciples is Jesus going to call out? 12, right? Now, um, here's a question, and I promise you it's not, not a trick question. Do you think Jesus knew before he spent all night in prayer what 12 guys before the foundation of the world he was going to call as his disciples? I think he did. I don't think at all night he's like, I don't know. Judas or Joe, which one? I, I don't, I'm like, Lord, I need, a, I need a word. I need you to show me like I get. I don't think that Jesus needed to pray all night to make a decision. So why would he do that? Probably because you and I might need to from time to time. We, not, we might need, I'm not saying you might not pull an all-nighter. It may not be the worst thing. But you might need to put in more than 30 seconds in a prayer sometimes. Major decision, Lord, I, I need an answer. And, and I'm really going to pour my heart out. And I'm really... He's giving us the example. We also saw that Jesus would pray before healing. I guess Jesus could have just gone up and healed somebody, but a lot of times he would pray before doing it. Why? He's giving an example again. Just so you know, where I am on this, I still believe that Jesus can heal. When I pray for somebody's healing from sickness, I believe he still can do that without any doubt. Um, you've probably seen the evidences in your life. I have in mind where God has just done something miraculous. Man, I love it when doctors go, I don't know what happened, but somebody ought to have been praying, right? Just happened recently. Somebody else was praying for Doctor came in. I don't know who you got praying. Man, man God did something here because this was not supposed to take place. So Jesus is praying before, before healing. We also see him praying after healing. This is important, y'all. Uh, not just before the event, sometimes after the event, Lord, I want to thank you for what you did. How often do I pray for God to do something, he does it, and then I'm just moving on to the next thing? Just stop, oh, let me just stop, Lord. Thank you. And I want to give you honor and glory for what you do. And he often would pray to do the Father's will. 
just to name a few, because there are a lot there that I just gave you, but we see that Jesus is all the time praying. And I believe in the height of his ministry, he never did things without prayer. So with it, what's also we see is that we're going to be up at this point right here. In heaven, Hebrews 7.25 says, he now lives to make this thing called intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus Christ is in heaven and he lives to make intercession for us. Um, years ago, uh, I was asked if you've ever seen a, a movie called The War Room that the Kendricks put out. It's a movie on prayer. And, um, and they had asked me if I'd help write the Bible study to go along with, with the movie. And um, Gloria was probably, oh man, she might have been three years old, two or three years old at the time. And uh, it was a Friday morning, I'm sitting there and... Um, the, our little playroom at the time, she comes and sits. She goes, what are you working on? I said, I actually, I'm writing a Bible study on prayer. She goes, huh, interesting. And I was like, well, you know, she's just kind of like jabbing at me, talking different things, whatever. And I said, tell me, who do you think would be a good prayer partner? She goes, Jesus. I'm like, that's actually a good answer, right? okay? That's a really good answer, okay? Now, she's just in her mind just saying, I'm going to say the thing that's on my mind, you know, a few years of age or whatever. She says, I think Jesus would make a great prayer partner. Jesus will make a great prayer partner, wonderful prayer partner. But Scripture actually says he is praying for us. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Can I be straight with you? Some of us have made it through what we've made it through because Jesus was praying for us. Some of us have made it through what we made it through because other people were praying for us. You ever had that moment of life where something happened in your life and they came up and says, let me just tell you, God woke me up that morning to pray for you. Um, in the height of... Uh, uh, 2020, when COVID was as bad as it was, there were a lot of people in our church that were struggling uh, with it. And uh, I can remember one night tucking my kids in bed, going to the house, checking all the door locks, turning off all the lights. And I don't know how to say this, and some of y'all are going to think I'm being hokey, but I'm I just going to be honest with you. I felt there that in that moment, there was a church member that I knew was in the hospital that was fighting for her life. I didn't know how bad it was. I knew that it had been bad that day. But something stopped me at my kitchen table, and I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to pray, and you need to pray now. And as I began to pray, I got down on my knees. I felt like it was a desperate situation, and I felt like, in my mind, I feel like she's fighting for her life right now. And I, I got no indication that she is. I got no whatever. But I just start praying, Lord, whatever you got to do, send somebody in there right now to help her. Whatever's going on, do what you got to do. Keep her alive. You got work for her to do, blah, blah, blah. And I just go to bed and just can't shake this thought that she's struggling. That next morning, her husband calls me and said, we almost lost her about 1130 last night. I said, come again? Well, that was at the time that I was at the kitchen table on my knees praying for her. I said, she had been transferred from one nurse to the next, and the nurse had misread how many liters of oxygen she was supposed to be taking in, and they had reduced it, and she said she was gasping for air and she was dying. And then all of a sudden, somebody looked at the paper again, grabbed another oxygen mask, put it on her, and started trying to get life back in her lungs at the very moment that God is saying, pray now. Now, I say that, right, because when I get the wonderful opportunity to see her thriving and doing all these wonderful things, I believe that God sometimes calls us to alert us to certain situations that you can pray for. And if, and if, if we have had people in our life who prayed for us, it's about time we start doing that for other people, right? Just start talking to God because Jesus has given us by example of how much prayer impacts the situations that we're in. In fact, when you think through all of what happens, if you go, what are some of the amazing things that the disciples witnessed Jesus do? 
I mean, there's so many things. He, he, he walked on the water. He, he fed the 5,000. He raised the dead. But with all the disciples' experience, they asked Jesus to teach them one thing. One thing alone. Right? And here's what it is. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what? Pray. Just as John also taught his disciples. Jesus, we have seen you heal this sickness. We have seen you feed these people. We have seen you walk on water. But when you pray, we just want to know what, 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 how that happens. And at that time, what Jesus did was he gave us what we call Lord's Prayer, right? He gave us the Lord's Prayer. Uh, many of you memorized the Lord's Prayer when you were a young child. That's great to do. Many of you used to recite that in your service every single week in church, right? That's a wonderful thing to do. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Jesus was giving us a script to copy and repeat every time we pray. I think he was giving us a template. Here's some things you ought to pray about, right? Here's some things to think about when you pray. And let me break them down for you. You guys know this, right? Our Father who what? Art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? Earth as it is in. Give us this day our daily. And forgive us not our. As we forgive those who have. And lead us not into. But deliver us from. There you go. Okay, you got this, right? Now what he did was he literally broke some things down on. Hey, here's some good stuff to pray about. So you're not saying the same thing over and over again, right? Like, Lord, just bless me today. Pray that nothing blows up. Like, that's good. But maybe there's some other stuff to do. The first thing that he does is, uh, his prayer, is in honoring God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Your name is holy, hallowed, holy, set apart, sacred. Um, so get this, you ready? Crazy thought to our prayers. Before you start giving God your laundry list of everything you need him to do, what if you start by praising him for who he is? God, thank you that you are my dad. And thank you that my dad lives in heaven. And I know that anything I come to you, because you're my father, you care about me. And because your address is in heaven, ain't nothing impossible for you. So before I ask a thing, I'm reorienting my perspective. My father loves me and he owns everything in this world. And there's nothing impossible for him. You start out there. You just start by honoring. What reasons do you have to glorify God today? If my prayers get stuck, folks... Sometimes I just start going through the list of things that I remember God has done in my life. I want to thank you for this. I want to thank you for that. Just honoring God. Second thing that the prayer is, is committing to follow God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So is there anything you need to change? This is a part of prayer that I think is very important. God, and this is my sanctified imagination, when I think about Jesus... Uh, praying, your, father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I imagine that in heaven right now, God's will happens really quick, right? Silly, silly example. But if God is saying, hey, can one of the angels go get me a glass of water from the fridge? 
I imagine there's a rush in heaven, right? Get out of my way. You got the water last time. They're just running there. They're so excited to be able to give God what he asked for, right? They're going to run into the heavenly kitchen, and they're going to bring in the best water they can. And go, I got it. No, I got another glass. And they're going to run in. They're stampeding just to be able to do what God has called them to do. And I think that in this moment of prayer, it's kind of this visual of going, as the way that the angels want to do your will in heaven, let me do your will here on earth. I just commit, yes, Lord, whatever it is. I say yes, right here, right now, I'm in. Whatever you ask of me. Well, we're not even asking God to do anything yet. We're telling him we're willing to do what he's wanting us to do. Now you start to get it. This is what prayer should be, surrendering ourselves. The next thing is, it says depending upon God's provision. Depending upon God's provision. What needs do you need to put in the hands of God? Give us this day our daily what? Bread. All right, I want you to notice something, what it doesn't say. It says, give us, right, our. Listen to this again, how silly this would sound. Give me today my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who, it loses something, doesn't it? So oftentimes we're always praying in the singular position, not in the plural position. Give us today. Our daily bread. It's not just about me, God. It's about the people of God. It's about my family. It's about the people that are in close proximity. I'm not just going to pray about me. Give us today what we, what we need. I love, he says, give us today our daily bread. He does not say give us uh, today tomorrow's butter, tomorrow's jelly. Give me what I need today. That's enough. I trust you for the rest. You're going to give me my daily bread today. I can trust you tomorrow. The next thing that he prays about is about forgiving others. Now, why we got to start meddling now, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we have for, uh, forgiven those who've trespassed against us. I think a good, healthy approach in prayer is who do you need to forgive? What relationships do you need to work on? And you go, I don't want to go there. Here's <laughs> what you don't. Okay. Nobody really honestly believes that prayer when they say it. Lord, I want you to show me the same level of forgiveness that I have shown my worst enemy in life. Please, God, give me the type of grace that I have given her, that I have shown him, the person that I despise the most. Would you love me the way I've loved them? And if we're honest, I'm going to say, God, will you do the complete opposite of what I've done to all the people who've hurt me, right? Just do everything that I have not done. You do that for me. I want mercy for me, wrath for them. And he's saying, if you've been forgiven, you might want to look around you and think if this is somebody you need to forgive. Who do I need to forgive? Then, the next part of prayer is keeping us from temptation. Are there any danger areas in your life? This is that second D today, disobedience, right? Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Um, uh, just, just as a side note here, 1 Corinthians uh, 10.13 is a great verse to memorize. It's often misquoted. People will say, you know, I, I read in the Bible that it says God will never put on you more than you can bear. That's not what it says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you but what is common to man, and God is faithful, and with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you can also endure it. What is he saying? You will never be tempted beyond your ability to get out. And this prayer is, Lord, today, I am going to be in some tempting situations 
Keep me close to you. Keep my eyes up, right? We have throughout this church, we were putting some stuff up uh, on the third floor of the children's wings, uh, some different uh, fire escape routes, right? It's like if you're in this room right here, this is where you need to go if you're in danger. This is what this prayer is. God, show me the way out of this situation if I get in there. If it's dangerous, show me the path out. And so we're praying and asking God to do just that. And then the last part is just, uh, I would say, ending on praising God. For thine is the kingdom, power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Just any reasons to worship today. Now that changes your prayer life, but it's a great model for us to use as a template as we go forward. And really quick, as you put down praising God, I'm going to give you these last little things manifestation of the Christ. We've already talked about some of the miraculous things that Jesus did. But Jesus showed that he could perform the impossible. Time and time again, what seemed to be no way to happen actually did take place. That he could perform the impossible time and time again. In fact, he says all things are possible with God, that he can do whatever is needed to do for the situation. His miracle, or what oftentimes is called a sign ministry, They'd also say these are signs that he's doing. His miracle or sign part of his ministry was to increase people's faith. It was not just to give free handouts. It was to cause them to see that God was able to do whatever was needed to be done. And so this part of uh, the sign ministry, a lot of times it was pointing to a greater need. Feeding of the 5,000 was to see that God was providing for all of their needs. It was to encourage to increase their faith. But as we saw in the situation of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, no matter the amazing nature of these miracles, Jesus' followers had difficulty trusting in him, right? They had difficulty trusting in him when the next impossible situation presented itself. So as soon as the 5,000 meal had been taken care of, the next 4,000 situation came up and panic began to arose yet again. But Jesus was also aware of those who were following his signs and not actually him. And this is what's crazy about this situation. John um, chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. Depending upon your translation, let me just tell you, I think the, the best translation of this goes in this way. It says, many people were trusting in Jesus because of the signs that he was doing, but Jesus did not trust them. Because he knew what was in the heart of men. You know what he's saying is? Jesus can tell how many of us come to him for the handouts. You're not after him. You're after what he can do. You're not after the giver. You're after the gifts. And Jesus says, I'm not fully entrusting myself to all these people. You know why? Because they're just here for the handouts. They're not here for me. Jesus said it this way in John 20, 28. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So my question to leave you here today is, you have not seen Jesus the Christ in flesh, but do you believe that he is able to do what he has promised that he can do? Do you still believe today that he can do the miraculous time and time again? And can we see that his ministry flowing through us to a dying and broken world can actually change lives today? So Father, I ask that tonight, as we look and think about the example of Jesus, that we would walk away from here with a greater understanding and love for who you are and what you have done. And Lord, may you be glorified in the way that we live our lives. Uh, and also, God, you have called us to, you, you said to greater works than these that we would do because we come after you, that Jesus, you have 
not said the miraculous had to stop when you went to heaven, but no, Lord, there are things to do this very night for us to be involved in the heavenly ministry, to pushing back the darkness, to find hope and healing for the people of this world. And Lord, I just pray that through that teaching that we go to the scripture with authority, the prayer life that Jesus had, but also the way that he would meet needs and do the miraculous time and time again, we see the hope that we need for our own lives and follow you in faith. It's the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all.